Hey, hey, Tony Gaskins here, popping in. You know, I got an email today, and it asked me to tell more about my story. And I was like, you know, I think that's where I want to start at as I'm cranking the podcast back up. And this podcast, as I was talking to my wife, I realized it's kind of just for fun for me. Um, this isn't a income stream or anything like that. They do have commercials and stuff that eventually come, but... This is something just on the side. I talk about love and relationships a whole lot on my YouTube and on my Instagram Q&A. And so sometimes I want to get away from relationships because to be honest with you, my relationship is perfect. And when I say that, I'm not really exaggerating. I shouldn't even say really. I'm not exaggerating. Like, I really don't want anything else from my wife more than what she gives. And she doesn't ask for anything more than what I give. And being that we've been focused on this for so long, I've been a relationship coach for so long. I have to live what I preach because I'm not the type of person who can live a lie. Nor is my wife the type of woman to allow me to live a lie. So I got to do things the right way. And sometimes it's draining talking about love and relationships and all of the debacles and just how much craziness is going on when your relationship is is fixed and you kind of need a break from it at times. So although I will do talks with Tony on here eventually and sometimes it won't be all the time. It's a lot of days I just have a random thought. And so I'm also using this as the same way Zig Ziglar used his podcast. I heard about life, love, and business from him. And it changed my life as a young man trying to really rid myself of the street life and street mentality and become the man that I am today. That really helped me. So, you know, I'm from Arbondale, Florida. And when I was growing up, I believe the population was 5,000 people and my mother and father are both the babies they're both babies of 12 kids my mom one of her siblings I believe died rather early so it was really like 11 and then my father baby of 12 and they grew up in Bartow Florida close to each other and that's how they met. I believe one was in the eighth grade, one was in the ninth grade, from what I'm told. And they were high school sweethearts. And then my father went off to the army. And when he came back from basic training, he married my mom. And I was born in El Paso, Texas. My dad was stationed in El Paso in the US Army. And then I think around two years old, we moved back to Florida and moved to Winter Haven, Florida, and then to Arbondale, Florida. So from what I can remember, I was raised in Arbondale, Florida from the age of five years old, I believe. And I stayed there until college. And at six years old, that is when my parents found Christ or Christ found them. And I gave my life to Christ as a six-year-old, not really knowing what I was doing, of course, just doing what my parents were doing. And I remember going to class, going to the first grade, and 
the teacher, I told her, I was like, hey, I got saved. We call it getting saved for those of you who don't know. I got saved. And she was like, wow, that's awesome. That's that's amazing. And I remember we were getting ready to have a Halloween party and we had made the little the little ghost and put the ghost up and they were hanging in the room. And she told my mom that when I told her I got saved, she canceled the Halloween party. And I didn't know much about that, but you know, growing up in Central Florida, you're in the South and religion is a big deal. And Christians don't really celebrate Halloween because it's seen as the devil's day, even though the history, I think has something to do with getting rid of evil spirits, but it just seen as the devil's day in, in, in the church, in the black church at least. And so she counseled that and that was really my first experience remembering of, you know, Christian life and how people see it. And then I remember around nine or 10 being in the back seat of the car and we were coming around this curve that we always go around going home from Bartow to Arbondale because we went to church in Bartow and I was crying to God. I was praying and I was crying and I said, hey, Lord, if you real, show me your face. And I remember looking up in the sky and I'm crying. And my sister, she's over on the other side of the seat. It's dark. My mom and dad, they're in the front seat. They, No one knows I'm praying and I'm crying out to God at this young of an age. But I took God very seriously because it was around the age of seven and eight that I started to see visions that I would be famous. And I thought it would be through sports. I was a really good athlete as I began to grow. So I thought it would be football or basketball. And I don't consider myself famous now, in case you're wondering, this isn't the, the level of, when I say fame, I really mean notoriety. But I would see that and that I would have a platform for Christ. And I was crying out to God and I looked up in the clouds and one of the clouds was shaped like a face. Like I saw the two, the two holes for the eyes and like a hole around the nose and of course i i just seen it myself it most likely was just a normal cloud but you see what you believe and from there i was like i'm a believer like i'm believing and when you get on the right path you're always tested with the wrong path so from that point i really started to minister to my friends in the eighth grade i had a friend we were walking home from school and we were walking to the library and I remember ministering to him about God and just telling him and and we said the sinner's prayer and he dedicated his life to Christ and that was I was just very gung-ho you know for for Christ and then here comes the test ninth grade in ninth grade I had a friend who my dad I think was I think my dad became a pastor and opened his own church when I was 14. And I had a friend who his mom and dad were pastors and they had a church around the corner from my house. And he and I, he was two years older than me. I turned 15, he was 17. And we were hanging out, we would hang out. And I remember we were in Winter Haven and we went to the mall and he stole a shirt. And we were going to the Winter Haven High School basketball game and he stole a shirt out of the Winter Haven Mall and basically we were in like Dillard's or something and he grabbed a new Nautica shirt I remember it was lime green 
with either navy blue or black writing that said nautica and he put it on his shoulder and we just walked out the store it was kind of a outdated mall so i don't think they had cameras and we went to the game and he had on this fresh new nautica shirt and at that time he was working at winn dixie the grocery store so he was getting paid eighty dollars a week i think and another probably a couple weeks later my mom took us to the lakeland mall and we were at the mall and we're going through the mall i had money can't remember how i had money and i bought some clothes out of one store just like a a button-up shirt and then like a t-shirt that goes up under it so i had spent like 80 dollars or something and then we went into dillard's and you know he was like hey man you know you want to steal a shirt and i was like yeah and so he got another nautica shirt this was like a bright orange one and he threw it over his shoulder just like he did at the winter haven mall and i went into the tommy hill figure section i'm like man i want me something fancy and i got the tommy hill figure shirt and i put it in my bag where i had bought clothes already and i put it in my bag and we walked out the mall and we started to jog you know we were jogging we were going to go back into the entrance of the mall to the food court and as we were jogging, we stopped because we were like, okay, yeah, we, we, we're in the clear now. We're good. And this black car pulled up. And it was, you know, like the Ford Taurus or whatever. Unmarked cars. Black, all black, black tent. And the guy hopped out, police in uniform. He said, hey, come here. You with the bag, come here. And I went up to him. And he was like, hey, you know, he grabbed my hand. And he, like, bent it. And he bent it backwards, like if your fingers are going to touch the inside of your forearm you know he bent it in half like that and it felt like he's about to break my hand and he was like you know what do you got in that bag and I was like some clothes he was like did you steal something out of the out of the store and now uh, me I'm a snitch so I, I said uh, yeah but I, I wasn't the only one he said oh you weren't the only one and I said no and then he said hey you come here he called my friend over and he said hey, you you were stealing too and friend he said yeah he said all right y'all y'all get in and he put us in the back seat and he drove us from Bartow I mean from Lakeland from Lakeland Mall to the Bartow police station and booked us in you know took the mug shot took the fingerprints put me in my cell put my friend in his cell and then you know a couple hours later our parents showed up my mom was at like Bible study or something and they they let us go and they said it's up to your parents if y'all do boot camp my friend's parents they sent him to boot camp i believe he went for 10 days and my parents was like no my our son he'll get the lesson like he gets it and that was when my life started to change like just being tested being tempted and then after that it was my virginity and lost my virginity you know, on a baseball dugout, you know, in baseball where the players sit when they're waiting to bat. Um, it was at a basketball, girls basketball game, one of the girls basketball players that I met in class and just being a clown, like somebody had given me a condom and I like flashed it to her and she nodded her head, yeah. And I don't even think I lost my virginity because I didn't know what I was doing now that I look back on it and I was like you know what I don't think I lost my virginity that night but you know hey I tried and then from there it was just it was all all out just chasing chasing girls from ninth grade and me and my friend that I got caught stealing with 
and one other friend that I knew from kindergarten, we called ourselves the Hot Boys. And my mom had a van, like a caravan, and it was real old. And we used to drive that van, and it was called the Hot Boy Van. And my one friend, he was pretty creative, so he made us business cards. And mine was like Hot Boy number one. He was Hot Boy number two. The other guy was Hot Boy number three. And we all had, it said Hot Boy number one, Tony, Pretty Tony, or whatever kind of name. And it had a, a quote on it, and it had my phone number. And so we would go to different little get-togethers for high schoolers, and we would pass out our cards to, to girls. And I can't remember if anybody ever called me or not, but, you know, it was a long time ago. And that's how we would connect. And then we all had us a little girlfriend, and we would get in the hot boy van, and we would go pick them up. And just doing what we young men were doing, thinking we ladies' men, and it just became all about girls. And so anywhere we would go, a hey, first one to five phone numbers, first one to five phone numbers, and we would just compete. And from there, it just was, that was a part of how you identify yourself as a man, how you make your name, who gets the most girls, who's the best in the sport that they play, and who gets the most girls. And that, that was boyhood going into manhood. And so after the ninth grade, I went to a private school because my basketball coach, AAU, which I don't know what AAU stands for, um, maybe American Athletic Union or something, but the travel basketball back then, we, from the Boys and Girls Club, they created a team. So in the summers of like eighth grade and I think maybe ninth grade, we played on this travel team and we just go different tournaments and play people. And I was a starter on the team, and I probably, I think, was the high scorer or maybe second, if not the high scorer. And so I would be featured in a newspaper from AAU basketball, and, and then football I played JV, but I quit. But we got kicked off the team, me and the guy who was stealing because we missed practice a couple times, and we got kicked off the team at the end. And then... At the last game, too, when we were going to actually get to play, me and him got kicked off because we missed practice, two practices. And then, so my sophomore year, I went to the private school because my mom was crying and stuff, and she was like, hey, I don't want you, you know, I want you to go to this school because it's a Christian school, and you need to get away from your friends, and you got in trouble in the ninth grade, and you need to change your life. And so I went there, and they only had basketball, so I played basketball, and I averaged 18 points a game that year, which was made me number five in the county. Two of the guys in the top five end up going to, you know, D1. One played at the University of Tennessee, the Tennessee Vols. Another one played at UConn, the UConn Huskies. I think he won a national championship with them. And I played against them coming up too. So, you know, I was good at the game. I just was short. You know, I was like 5'9", so I just was little. And these guys were like, you know, 6'6". Six, six. And so I played, and school was better. My grades went up from 2.5 GPA to a 3.3. And I really liked it. I was probably one of five black kids at this school. So I met a lot of, you know, white kids for the first time. And some of them were very well off and come from great families. And so it was different for me being able to go to a suite you know, at the Bucks, Tampa Bay Bucks 
facility and go into the box, you know, a, a suite and watch the game from a suite. And then to go to the Orlando Magic and watch the game like courtside, basically, it was it was eye opening. It, it changed my life, changed my perspective. And I really started to see some things. And at first I thought I was going to hate the school because I didn't want to leave my friends. I didn't want to be around a lot of, you know, uh, white kids. No offense to, you know, my white listeners. It's just we had a racial divide where I come from, you know, Ku Klux Klan visited my middle school so it was a racial divide there was you know race wars race fights blacks versus whites blacks versus mexicans and it was just kind of you know toxic it was lines between the races and almost like a prison and so we you know i i, I fell in love with the school and i balled out my 10th grade year so the next year my 11th grade year more players came to the school we had a couple more basketball players come one guy he was originally from new york another guy was from new jersey another guy was from bartow and a few of us played together on the team and we that year i only averaged 11 points because we had a new guy come in and he you know he took a lot of shots and so and the coach liked him and so that that changed the dynamic for me with basketball but football showed up that year they started a football team and we I became the running back I had played running back my whole life except for basically ninth grade which I played some of the year but now I'm at this private school and I'm playing football and I'm playing with um it was basically me and one other black guy from from Bartow he played wide receiver and then the rest of the team were white guys and and then we were playing you know private school so you're playing against you know schools that charge to go to the school so therefore the people that go to the school are typically well off and most private schools were comprised of predominantly white students and white players on average just were not as fast as black players and you know that's no uh mist it's a mystery but it's it's not news like people have always kind of seen you know black people as muscular or fast and athletic so i'm playing with these kids and a lot of them never played football because they're for as a black person your way out was sports but what i noticed for white people they were more so more well off like they were middle class upper middle class upper class so their way out was education go to go to school go to college get a degree and then come home and run your dad's business or join your dad's business and it was a lot of business owners at this private school so a lot of these kids did not need sports so sports was like a hobby whereas for for the black kids sports was like a way of life so I'm playing this sport and I'm like, hey, this this how I'm going to make it. And I'm running all over these kids. You know, a running back is supposed to average like four or five yards a carry. I averaged over 10 yards a carry. Uh, 10 yards is a first down. So you get to start over on downs for those of you, you know, who don't know football. Um, so the numbers were kind of insane. And that was like light, like I wasn't even really trying too hard and the coach didn't really give me the ball a lot. 
because when he gave me the ball, it, he saw it was just too easy. And he didn't want it to be something demoralizing for the other team. He didn't want to make his team look like, oh, we're nothing but Tony Gaskins, which was kind of the case. But, you know, you're at this school to where these parents coming to see their kids play. They don't want to just see, you know, me running up and down the field, scoring all the touchdowns. So a lot of times he would give the other running back more carries than me. And that guy would get like 20 carries and have like, you know, 80 yards. And then I would get five carries and have 80 yards. And so, you know, it wasn't fair, but. I was a financial aid student paying like a third of the cost to be there. Everybody was paying like $800 a month and my parents only had to pay $50 a month. So, you know, you can't say too much. And from there, my senior year, my dad and my coach got into it, the basketball, because I got hurt my senior year of football. And I still finished with 1,300 yards, which is a lot. That had me number three in the county. And my dad asked my basketball coach, hey, can he take off for two weeks? And the coach was like, well, he can take off, but he needs to come and watch practice. And my dad was like, I want him to be nowhere near sports for two weeks just to, you know, reset his mind, detox from sports and start all over. And the coach said, no, you know, if he doesn't come to practice, then he's not going to be able to play. And my dad said, well, if you won't let him miss for two weeks, then I'm not going to let him play for you at all. And my dad thought that, you know, he was going to get his way. And the coach was like, fine. So then they both came to him. and was like, hey, you can play if you want to play. But I was like, man, this is my dad versus my coach. I'm going to side with my dad. I'm not going to play. And I wasn't excited about playing anyways because we had so many more players that we were like a little all-star team. My 11th grade year, we beat big schools. We beat the school that I came from, which was like, you know, you classify 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A. The school I came from was like a 4A school. And then I was at a 1A school. And it's classified based on the amount of students, to my knowledge and understanding. So we were beating 4A and 5A schools in basketball because we just had put together a little all-star team. And we just played good team basketball. And 12th grade I wasn't excited about playing because I was a ball hog you know I wanted 20 points a game so I'm like if I'm gonna go out here and get nine points a game it's a waste of my time so I sat out basketball and I end up getting a football scholarship and it was a full scholarship to a division two school so you have you know division one division two division three and you have like NAIA and you have JUCO so Division One is the highest, of course. So I was on the second level, Division Two, And there was a mid-level, what they used to call Division One AA. I committed to a Division One AA school, Florida Atlantic University. But they wanted me to walk on and earn a spot because they had given away their 63 scholarships by the time they got my highlight tape. And I agreed to that. But then the Division Two school called me West Virginia Wesleyan College in Buckhannon, West Virginia. They called me and they, the coach said, we have a full scholarship for you. So he said, hey, it's $28,000 a year to go here. Florida Atlantic was like 11,000 a year. So us, we just looked at it like, well, if it costs more, it must be a better school. And my mom was like, man, it's a thousand miles away from home. I want you to go there because I want you to get away from your knucklehead, knucklehead friends. 
I don't want your friends to be able to come visit you, you know, in Boca Raton, which was like three, four hours from where we lived. And so I accepted that scholarship and I went up there. And at this time now, by the age of 18, I had slept with 22, 22 girls and I was keeping count. So my life was there. I did not drink, I did not smoke. I still stole. I stole from a mall in Atlanta. I think it was Lennox Mall, but I didn't get caught. And so I still just had a little thief in me. And I don't know why. It was just a thrill, I guess, just being devilish. And I knew God, but I wasn't walking with God. And I went up there to the school and I end up the school was the school was easy as far as football is concerned. And it just did not turn me on, like meaning I wasn't challenged by the football players. Like I, I get the ball, they hand me the ball and I run over them, you know, just run all through them the same way I was doing in high school. Even though it was more black athletes at this school, their their athletic ability wasn't where it would be if you're division one. And I was a division one athlete, but I was at division two level because that was the only school gave me a full ride. So not being challenged, I really wasn't too focused. And then I did what they call a red shirt, whereas you sit out that season, but it doesn't count against your four years of eligibility. So essentially you'll be in school five years. And by doing that red shirt, not playing, the only reason I was in college was to play sports. So not being able to play in the games, but have to practice so hard 40 hours a week I was like, this is crazy. Y'all got to forgive you hear noise. I'm a lawn guy, but, you know, it is what it is. So I was like, this is crazy. So I started faking injuries. I think I legitimately got injured once, but then I started kind of faking injuries because I didn't want to do all this practicing and not be playing. And I was a lazy person because when it comes to athletics, because my parents didn't play sports and they didn't push sports. My dad wasn't the type to like shove sports down my throat and like, hey, this is the only way to make it. He was real chill. And so I just didn't have that hunger and that desire like my teammates had. Like they watch football, they watch the NFL, they watch other colleges play. I never watched a football game. I just was good at it, but I never watched a football game. I really did not know what was going on. In college is when I learned that when I, on certain plays, I got to wait on my offensive lineman to pull from his side to go in front of me to the side that I'm going to open up the hole. Like, I never knew that <laughs> playing my whole life. I just would get the ball and run touchdowns. So here I am in college, and I got the ball, and I took off through the hole, and the coach stopped me. He's like, Tony, what are you doing? You got to wait on Russ. Russ is actually my security guard today. He's still a close friend because he's from Tampa, Florida. He was like, you got to wait on Russ to pull. He's going to pull. You jab step this way. You wait on him. He's going to go through the hole. He's going to clear open the hole. Then you come behind him. Make it easier on you. What are you doing? But I literally would get the ball, beat the lineman to the hole, put a move on the on the linebacker, do a spin move, cut on the cornerback, and I'm heading for the touchdown. And so I was actually learning about football in college, which is sad. But it was a way out of my neighborhood. And so here I was, I'm there 
And you got to forgive the line guy. He is here. But, hey, I'm not going to let all this go to waste. So y'all forgive me. And so I may have to put some music up under this. So y'all forgive me if you if I have music under this. You know, I know it's kind of tacky. But, you know, y'all bear with me. And so, and and don't don't tell me what you want and what you don't want. Because I got to give you what I could give you. Because I really, you know, I really don't want to get too caught up in making this a job job. So understand that. So here I am, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm in college and next thing I know, like guys are, guys, they smoking weed, they getting drunk, they doing all this different stuff. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't curse. Only thing, my vice was dealing with the ladies. That was the main thing that I would be doing is just dealing with the ladies. And so I'm, as I'm doing that, that's still in my focus and I'm staying up late and I'm you know, going to class tired, um, not eating right and all of these things. And so one thing led to another. And then from there, it just kind of, it started to spiral a little bit. But, you know, I'm going to stop right here for this first recording. Lawnmower's behind me. And I actually just allowed a client that I'd coach normally to um, sign up for a VIP session. I'm not doing one-on-one sessions now, but from when I was, this client would always sign up and so I just allowed this client to book a VIP session and that session is in two minutes so I'm gonna stop here and I will finish up the story uh, maybe tomorrow or another time talk soon